At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Uncle Jim, Uncle Jim, there's no bad guy like Uncle Jim, never lost, not even around, undefeated, undisputed, oh yeah, here comes the bad guy, Uncle Jim, Uncle Jim. Uncle Chill, there's no bad guy like Uncle Chill. Never lost, not even around, undefeated, undisputed. Oh yeah, here comes the bad guy, Uncle Chill. What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining a very special episode of Your Welcome. Mike Tyson put out a piece through social media, and it was very dark. It was a very, very dark statement that he made. And the statement was as follows. I was rewarded in life, my entire life, from hurting people. If I hurt someone, someone else told me good job. And I was not able to distinguish between opponents, strangers, women, training partners, it was all the same to me. I was rewarded to hurt someone. I would get articles written about me. I would get a claim. And it was this very, very dark thing. And it was one of those things, I couldn't quit reading it. I couldn't quit thinking about it. Even after I looked away from the page, it took me five seconds to read it. But I was thinking, for hours, I was thinking about this because it was so dark. But there was also a realness that Mike was letting us into. And it was a very weird psychology to hear him break it down and assess it of himself because he is right. He is right about something that is very negative, but he also drew a conclusion from this dot to this dot and how you got there in a straight line. He started boxing at a young age. I'm tr- I think it was I think it was 8th grade. When he met Casamato, uh, he was older than many guys who had started boxing. And he was a teenager. He was 13. He was 12. He was 14. He was something like this where he didn't start when he was eight years old, by example. Grew up in Brooklyn. Rough life. Not a lot of parental support. Not a lot of guidance. And so he finds something that he's very good at. The the other side of the coin is it it was a sport based on damage. It was a violent activity, and he was very good at it, and he was rewarded, and this is how he got himself out of a tough situation. So you can see where, and I think that his age matters. I think we can all relate to the positivity you can do with a young mind and the dangers that you can do with a young mind. And I don't imagine Cusimato or any of his classmates or an aunt or an uncle or somebody he passed in daily life that patted him on the back or put a camera on his face or did an interview, did an article putting out, this could be the next big thing. This could be an Olympic champion. This could be the great knockout artist of the heavyweight division. I don't think anybody ever would take into consideration that Mike would be hearing that different at a youthful age. And all Mike was hearing is the more people you hurt, 
the better job we are all going to believe that you did. It was a very dark piece, but it was it was also I really appreciated it because Mike was making a confession in that. He was admitting to wrongdoing over the years. He was admitting to articles that had been said and rumors that speculated about him. And he was saying, I don't like that person. Here's how this person came about, and here's what that person was thinking. He's talking about himself. It was just powerful. And in a very, very bizarre, in a very bizarre way, I would like to thank Mike for it. I would like to compliment him for being mature enough, even at 53 years old, to look back, say, I don't like that guy. Here's how we got there. If you don't want this to happen to a kid, make sure you don't only compliment him for hurting someone else. Make sure you're pointing out. And I'm going off script. This isn't all things Mike said. This is uh, Some of this was my interpretation, but I'm quite sure I'm spot on. Make sure you point out the hard work, the dedication, the overcut. This is what sport is. That specific realm of boxing and the way the rules are, are, are set up are pretty aggressive. But that's not where the compliments should come from, from hurting somebody. The compliments would come from having a goal, setting it, working hard, and achieving it. I felt as though that was Mike's message, and I felt as though he showed a level of bravery in putting it out there. So I wanted to bring it to your attention, but I also wanted to break down a little bit of a deeper meaning so nobody missed it. Darren Stewart, you guys know Darren? Tough son of a bitch. And he comes out and he was doing a piece and he started talking about Chemayev. Started talking about that that he, Darren, trained with Chemayev. And he was saying how good Chemayev was. He said, man, I've, I've seen this guy in ways that you guys haven't. You guys are impressed and he's caught your attention, but you've seen him three times for a collective six minutes. I have seen this guy in the room. I have seen him going with Alexander Gustafson, just to name drop. I have seen how well he can compete, how well he can do with some really big names. And he said, I'm one of the guys. I mean, I felt him. This guy's a rough guy. He said, Stewart has some very beautiful things to say about Shemayev while protecting his own ego. Stewart never once said, I'm conceding I couldn't beat this guy or even saying I wouldn't fight this guy, but I am happy to see a guy like this, who I've known for a period of time, finally get some recognition. I got to tell you, these gym stories, these gym heroes that you'll hear about, guys, it's real. They're all over the place. They say, they say, in the world of basketball, the greatest players out there you've never heard of, they claim that the Michael Jordans and the LeBron James and, and the Kobe's and the Shaq's exist on playgrounds but did not get the formal recognition for a number of reasons, one of which is they didn't have the grades. They didn't have the grades to go into what's called the clearinghouse, to go into what's known as the NCAA, to then go into what's known as the draft, to then go into what's known as the NBA. I don't know how true true those stories are. We don't have those in the sport I came from of wrestling. We just don't. There was no stud somewhere working out and having dedication and having a skill set that wasn't recognized, that didn't find his way into a singlet and into a tournament and into the community's eye. But they say in basketball that the best players out there are playing a game of pickup ball in the neighborhood right now and never got their chance. And I bring that to you because in fighting, I have seen I haven't seen it in wrestling. In fight, I have seen it. In wrestling, which I'm making the comparison, there is a tournament every single Saturday in every single state in the country. And there's usually two or three tournaments throughout the state of every state within the country. So it's easy to get your due. You're going to pop in somewhere and people are going to see you. That isn't true with MMA. There is a number of reasons where some of these hammers never get an opportunity, even on a little regional show. The politics of a regional show are very similar to that of Bellator in the UFC in terms of opportunity. There's only so much opportunity and how you get that very first match there is a lot that goes into it. There are little small promoters that will pop into gyms and scout that way, or they just sit home, but they get a phone call from someone who they trust. Once they get enough phone calls and they fill up their card, they're done and they move on, which just leaves for somebody could be left out. It's a real thing, and it sounds as though that, that was Chemayev. 
Listen to Darren Stewart. It sounds like that was Chemayev. I have a guy. I have a guy out here in Portland. He is a legend. His name is Tyson Jeffries. I have been teammates with him since he was 19 years old. He's now a husband and a father, so he's older than 19. I don't know how old Tyson is. I think Tyson's around 32 years old now. But he's one of these guys where anyone that touches him will talk about how great he is. He is so good, this Tyson Jeffries. He is so good that Michael Bisping, when Michael was preparing his run all the way to a world championship, would bring Tyson in and pay him just to be in camp, just to spar. I get calls from Bisping going, man, this guy's awesome. Bisping tells Rampage Jackson about him. Next thing you know, Tyson's now part of Rampage's training camp, getting paid just to come in the room. Just to come in the room and work out because he, he's a one-man training camp. He's an expert at jiu-jitsu. He's an expert kickboxer. He's a masterful wrestler. His conditioning's on point. He's got a pretty good attitude. I mean, this guy, and I'm bringing him to you because many of you wouldn't have heard of Tyson Jeffries. The guys who have worked out with him all know. But where Tyson's opportunity is at or was lost or was mismanaged or mishandled, whatever happened, many of you wouldn't know. But that's, I'm just bringing my own my own experience into this, but every gym has a guy like this. And that is largely what the Ultimate Fighter was designed to identify and give an opportunity to. The Ultimate Fighter specifically was designed to get these gym heroes, if you will. These guys that other people look at, identify, and say he deserves an opportunity. And the Ultimate Fighter succeeded in that, be it Diego Sanchez on day one, who passed the baton to the great Rashad Evans, for example, who passed that to Robert Whit- uh, Robert Whitaker? Just by example, these guys all came through the Ultimate Fighter. You could then suspend that thought and parlay that to a little quicker course known as Dana White Contender Series. Now it's not a tournament; it's pretty cutthroat. It's pretty tough. Some guys are going to perform. There's going to be an identification made of who can fit in on the roster at this specific time, and they're going to get an opportunity. But largely, it's the same thing. It's guys that come in with a reputation. And it sounds as though when I'm listening to what Stewart is saying about Chemayev, I mean, this is how legends are formed. The Khabib Nurmagomedov gym stories of working out with the Luke Rockholtz, the Daniel Cormiers, the Josh Koscheks, the Josh Thompsons, these guys who were established and that you had heard of, but this is how the legend of Khabib began. And it, it seems to string over to Chemayev. I'm very excited. I'm very happy that guys like Chemayev are getting their due. Guys like Kevin Holland. I really do feel that that 2020 was not the year of the champion. It was the year of the contender. And I would encourage other fighters to do what Stewart did for Chemayev. Stewart did a very nice thing. It was this, this was Darren Stewart's interview, and he chose to extend that to somebody else. It was a cool move. Stewart made a fan out of me here. But Chemayev also caught my attention. And Stewart didn't say that Chemayev could beat an Alexander Gustafson. He, he didn't say that, but he said, I've, I've seen them go. I, I know where this guy can stack up. I know that size for this particular guy doesn't matter. And I thought we were getting some insight there. I thought, I thought Darren was really letting us in on something. I thought you guys should hear the story. Worried about online security? The best way to protect yourself online is by using the privacy app IPVanish. IPVanish is a virtual private network, VPN for short, used on computers, tablets, and phones that secures your connection to the internet and protects your personal information. IPVanish helps protect you whenever you use public Wi-Fi, which is not always secure. When you use IPVanish, your personal data, like your emails, files, even your credit card and banking information, it's all encrypted, helping keep you safe from online thieves. How many times have you Googled something only to have the ad follow you across websites and on your social media channels? Well, that IP address is being tracked. Advertisers and hackers use it to keep tabs on you with IPVanish. Your real IP address is hidden, helping keep your identity safe, and IPVanish has a zero-log policy, so they're not recording your internet activity. What you do online stays private online. When it comes to internet connections at home and on the go, I know 
I depend on IPVanish. IPVanish is rated 4.7 out of 5 by real customers on Trustpilot. If you care about your internet privacy and you want to get reliable online data protection, then head over to IPVanish.com slash Plans start at $3.49 a month, which is a great price to secure all of your devices. All you got to do is go to IPVanish.com slash to start protecting yourself today. Guys, Adesanya was talking about, and I've heard Adesanya say very similar things to this, but he was talking about being undefeated, and he was talking about that that does not matter to him. As a matter of fact, he says, I'm not undefeated. I have an unblemished MMA record. I've lost before. I've lost in boxing and kickboxing. I lose in the gym if you want to come down and watch on any given day. It was a very interesting insight because a lot of guys will cling to their record. It's just a quantifiable thing. Numbers, right? Numbers don't lie, so it's a quantifiable thing. It's very hard. It's very easy for me to tell you don't worry about your record. I worried about my record every everything I did. So when I tell you those aren't real words, those aren't even real words that I can personalize. And I came from a sport, wrestling, where you got to redo every year. It was not a collective running tally, like, say, your professional MMA career. It was more like, well, a football season would be a great example, or even a basketball season. They don't look at a guy's record overall. It's this season. And amateur sports do the same thing. What is your record this season? You get four, five, six losses. You don't like those? Next season, you have zero losses. So you get a redo. And I thought it was a cool thing how Adesanya had worded this. Because he was very sincere. These weren't so, This wasn't some kind of a pep talk to the next generation. He was very sincere in saying himself, also identified, I don't look at myself as undefeated. I cared about those boxing and those kickboxing matches. I believe Adesanya's kickboxing and boxing record combined was 29-3. and three. But he's still bringing those in. Now, that's very helpful because that means that's not something he's trying to protect. And this is a very real thing. You'll see great fighters that start to try to protect something as opposed to go out and win something new. And it's a different mindset. It can affect the way they perform for sure, but it will definitely affect the way that they prepare. All that Adesanya needs to do is all that Adesanya is doing, which is every day when he goes in the gym, get better. Adesanya has officially been selected the fighter of the year, which I would not disagree with. But to tell you how he got there is not because he had a dominating win in a very highly publicized and looked at match with Paulo Costa. That's not what it is, at least not for me. Adesanya is getting better. You have a champion of the world who is getting better. That's a very rare thing. I watched Evander Holyfield. If you're ever going to talk about the best boxers of all time, you have to bring Evander into that. And I bring that to you because I don't hear Evander's name mentioned a whole lot. I hear the Mayweathers and the Sugar Rays and the Muhammad Ali's. If you go and look at the body of work from amateurs through the pros, the longevity, the different weight classes, you cannot have a discussion on who the most successful and greatest boxer ever was and not bring Evander Holyfield. I bring Evander in because I watched a piece that he did over 20 years ago. I watched it live at the time he did it, but it was 20 years ago, and I've remembered it because he was talking about once you're the best, you do not have to get better, you just need to maintain. And then he went through a workout and was showing the cameras what it is he does. And he was saying, I don't, I, in weight room, he was in the weight room, he and do 25 pull-ups. He said, I have no goal to do 26. I will maintain 25. I know that's the number because I'm the best in the world. I just need to stay here. And of everything that Evander's ever done or put out, I think that might have been the one that was wrong. It wasn't about maintaining. It's basic biology. You evolve or you become extinct. If you are not growing, you are dying. I think that one, I think that Evander might have had that one wrong, but I, I, when I juxtapose that against Israel Adesanya, I'm only seeing him get better. I mean, I remember the blueprint the day he came out and fought Vittori. Okay, great. If you can take him down and keep him there, you can beat this guy. And a lot of people really believed it. They should believe it. That was the evidence that we were just shown. By Adesanya's very next fight, all of a sudden you could still take him down, but you couldn't keep him there. 
It was a very clear and identifiable thing that he had worked on, which was standing up. By his following fight, which is now against Derek Brunson, who easily is the hardest fight by wrestling standards, which appears to be where Adesanya has a weakness, not only did he not have to get up off the bottom, he never once got taken down. I mean, he was showing these gains, and you could see, you could identify them from fight to fight, very clear gains. He wins the world championship, and then he starts getting better. I suggest for you the reason he's getting better is because of his mindset, which is he is not there to protect or defend or maintain. He is not happy. He is not satisfied. He is getting better. It's a rare thing, but I think it's important that we talk about this now because I have a feeling when the story is written on Adesanya, we're going to be talking about a longevity record. We're going to be talking about a guy that not just won a whole bunch of matches or that stopped and finished a whole bunch of guys. We're going to be talking about a guy that did those things for a decade. I have a feeling, I have a feeling this piece that I'm making right now is going to age like a fine wine and look very well over time. I feel that we're predicting something early, but I think that what's interesting is to identify why. What is different about him? Because there is something different. I can even look at the greats that came into this. John Jones would qualify as a great, but he knew how to play on day one. He could sit down at that piano with no training, and, and I mean, he could put out some very beautiful notes. He just knew how. It turned out that those skills that he had were better than what anybody else had. To identify what it is he is doing better or what gains he is making is hard. And that isn't a criticism of John. It is a recognition of how good he was on day one. But to find the growths and the growth patterns, like anybody who's already very good, that learning curve is going to slow. With Adesanya, it's not the case. And I think that he's letting us know why. He is not looking, whatever happened in the past was the past, whatever's going to happen in the future, he lives in the moment right now. Each sequence, each exchange, each round, which then becomes a contest and you move on to the next one, but he's in the moment. That's hard to do. Athletically speaking, that might have sounded simple what I just said to you. That is so hard to do. To be in round one and not thinking about round three, to be in the first 30 seconds of round one and thinking about those 30 seconds and not the rest of round one, it's a very hard thing to do. It's called slowing the game down. Baseball players will work on this. It has nothing to do with the fact of the combat of the sport or the chaos of MMA. It's true in any sport. You've got to slow the game down. Don't think about the ninth inning when you're up to bat right now. Slow it down this moment. Sounds easy. Very hard thing to do. And I feel as though it's something that Adesanya has mastered. And as he's letting us in on the way that he looks at himself, takes himself very unseriously. He is very lighthearted. He's very loyal to the gym that he's at and came from. No personnel changes. No corner changes. No training partner changes. Very loyal. And I see the same thing within his teammates, Volkanovsky, Hooker, to name drop a little bit. They've got five other guys signed under the UFC banner you may not know of. This is a wildly successful gym, but they also have that family unit. It is all for one and one for all. The night Volkanovski won the world championship, I had to be to the arena early. I was doing a piece with Laura Sanko, and just the time of the piece was early. That, so I'm there. And where I'm at, the cameras are set up, but I have a vision of the door that the athletes walk in, so I'll know when they arrive. I'm standing there with Laura. Our piece is going to be very quick. I mean, very, very quick piece. But while I'm there, Volkanovski comes walking in. Now, Volkanovski's fighting for a world championship in a co-main event four hours from now. He does not have to arrive. They have an arrival time. He does not have to arrive for hours. But Volkanovski comes walking in, and I said to Laura, I go, what's he doing here? Why would Volkanovski be here? She goes, oh, his teammate is the second fight of the night tonight. He's here to support his teammate. So Volkanovsky, who has flown over from a different country, who has everything that he ever worked for, and he worked very hard to get to this spot, he has every right, even an obligation, to be extremely selfish. This is his moment. He, the other way. My teammate is going to fight. Of course I am going to be 
therefore my teammates fight. It wasn't even a question. But it is, uh, it is a mindset as to city kickboxing. It's a story that deserves to be told because a lot of guys, once they make it, they get a level of fame, they get a level of, uh, of jingle jangle in their pocket, they, they go and become somebody else. These guys haven't done it, and they haven't done it collectively. If one guy did it, I would praise him. It is a shock to see how close that entire team sticks together. And I thought you'd appreciate the story. And as we're talking about Adesanya, we just got treated to one piece of news, which is Adesanya versus Blahovich is now the only official title fight we officially have because Dana gave it a date March 6th. And as that fight gets closer, that fight gets more interesting. Because either guy can win. I'll tell you right now who's better. Adesanya's better. What does better mean? Who has more skills? Who's more dynamic? Yeah, that, I think so. That's why I'm saying it's Adesanya. That doesn't mean he wins. Okay, power is the great equalizer. I'll tell you who's got more power. It's Jan Blahovich. I'll tell you who's more likely to knock the other one out. It's it's Blahovich. I'll tell you who's more likely to do it with one punch. It's Blahovich. There, Blahovich has a lot of ways to go in this match. And as this match gets closer, I'm telling you now, the odds are going to get closer and closer. As far as star power and name recognition, of course it goes to Adesanya, but that's also the differential in the line right now. A lot of experts are looking at this going, look, you're biting off more than you could chew. You've got a Volvo versus a Mack truck. Adesanya is now telling us openly, I'm not interested in the weight. I am not going to bulk up. I'm not going to gain a pound. Which means Adesanya is going to weigh in about 193. Blahovich is going to cut to 205. How much does size matter? According to Stipe Miocic, it doesn't matter a damn bit. We can talk about the fact that Adesanya is going to be giving up size to Blahovich. It won't even touch what, it, what Stipe is going to give up against Francis. Stipe is going to give up 35 pounds just on the scale. Just on the scale to Francis. I believe Francis cuts down to that weight. I believe Francis gets in the ring closer to 280. Now you're talking about a 50-pound differential. I only bring that to you because a lot is going to be made of Adesanya versus Blahovich. That's going to be 15, 20 pounds. Stipe is going to give up 250% more. So how much does size matter? At what point does it not matter? It does matter. There's a reason they weigh him in, but there is a tipping point. There is a tipping point. At some point, a guy is too slow. And at some point, a guy is too big. Where's that tipping point? Very interesting, very interesting match. And I think as you look at that, to kick off that division for 2021, where do we go from there? It was always believed that this was a play to draw one of them in to John Jones. John Jones has made it very clear, no, I'm going up to heavyweight. So if John is removed from the board, where do you go from here? If Adesanya captures that belt, where do you go from there? Now, they can answer that question quickly. I'm asking it as a stump question to answer it right now, and I think it becomes a little bit harder. So that division, we've got a little bit of clarity. Adesanya gave us a big glimpse into his mindset and his outlook. That fight for me cannot get here quick enough. The development of 205 pounds cannot get here quick enough. Whoever wins that contest, Blahovich or Adesanya, is quickly going to grab a microphone and retry to insert John Jones into the equation. Is it enough? Can they get John's attention? Will John be within striking distance of weight? A lot of questions. No answers, but they're coming. March 6th, right around the corner. I want to thank one of my new sponsors for supporting this show And I know a lot of my listeners, especially the hard-headed ones, are going to love them. Do you love peanut butter? Do you love whiskey? Then you're going to love Ram's Point Peanut Butter Whiskey. Ram's Point locks horns with smooth peanut butter flavor to create an intense spirit worth fighting for. Enjoy it as a straight shot. Put it on the rocks or as an amazing cocktail Ram's Point Whiskey is a fun addition to any party or that special night with someone special. They also have recipes that will blow your mind. Let's start with the Rams Point PB&J shot. Imagine you're at a party. The host says, 
Who wants a shot of PB&J? Of course you're going to be in. One part Rams Point, one part grape liqueur, and you've just created an incredible new version of an old favorite. And you can add other flavored liquors like strawberry, cherry, or wildberry to create your own version. And this one is genius. Imagine putting your favorite peanut butter around the rim of a glass. Add a shot of Rams Point peanut butter whiskey, and you've just created magic. Make sure to embrace hard-headed spirit this holiday season with Rams Point peanut butter whiskey. Whether it's getting together with a group of friends, safely of course, or that someone special, or if you're just looking to relax, Rams Point peanut butter whiskey is the way to go. And for the truly hard-headed, check out Rams Point peanut butter whiskey on Twitter and always hashtag appropriately. Go check it out now. I want to tell you guys a quick story about a teammate of mine who I'm very proud of. His name is Tom Andrusco, and Tom's a grown man. So when a grown man says he's proud of another grown man, sometimes that's condescending, but I don't have any other word to use. I watched this guy work his ass off. I've been teammates with him since 2008. He and I were at Team Quest together. The Team Quest guys at some point start doing MMA at Gracie Baja. Gracie Baja at some point becomes American top team. It's all the same guys. It's all the same guys in the same area, and they move around. So I've been with Tom since 2008, and this guy worked so hard. This guy had a very clear goal, and he wasn't going to go be Mr. Competition. He started a little later in life at this very trying and difficult sport. He falls absolutely in love with it, and he makes a commitment. This is what I'm so proud of him for. He made a commitment. Every single day at 3 o'clock, he is going to stop what he's doing and put two hours of effort into a very hard sport. And by the way, he had different goals. I was in there, but I was trying to make money. I was trying to make fame. I mean, there was things that I was doing that gave me a very built-in and natural motivation that he did not have. He had just made a promise and a commitment to himself, and he was going to see this thing through till the end. Now, on a personal note, Tom is a businessman, and the business he's in is a market, okay? And what do we know about markets? They go up, and they go down. That's what makes it a market. They level off, and then they adjust again, and they move, and they go up and down. So as he was in his professional business life in a market that had its ups, but it had its downs, it did not make a difference. Every single day at three, he put whatever was bothering or stressing or ailing him aside because he had made a commitment. And he was a construction guy, works real hard. So, I mean, there's days he would come in dirty and cold, wet, change his clothes, walk on the mat, put his time in. The gym changes. The gym changes again. The leadership within the gym changed. Tom, every day, 3 o'clock, no excuse. And he was also a great teammate. Another reason everybody at the gym likes Tom and that this was such a success story when he was elevated to the highest level, which is black belt. Don't forget, this is not a guy who wanted a career in MMA. It's not a guy who wanted to go off to Abu Dhabi and go and compete. So he has very different goals, but he made the same commitment and he saw it through. And, and he we had his black belt ceremony recently. And there, every I was so happy for all of the guys. It's a very big day that you receive your black belt, but I had a a different level of happiness and pride in Tom specifically because I watched what he went through and I never heard about it once. Never one day did he complain. Never one day did he say, I'm tired. I've been swinging a hammer all day. I can't come in. Never one day. And there was days where he would come in with a cup of coffee in his, I knew he was tired. I knew he was tired. I knew why he had that cup of coffee. I knew why he went through Dutch Brothers at 2.50 in the afternoon when everyone done drinking coffee by 6 a.m. I, I know why. So he was shot. He didn't have any energy. Didn't make any difference. Never complained once. Never made an excuse once. Never ceased to back his teammates once. I tell you that he did not have, have a big drive for competition. Well, some of his younger teammates did. He was there supporting them every time. Every single time, no matter how far he had to drive, no matter what ticket costs, no matter anything, he was there. And when now it was his turn to have his moment, his teammates were all there. And the ovation and the eruption of the room, so happy to see 
This guy who worked hard later in life, biting off something most people wouldn't do even in their best of physicality and succeed. I was proud of him. I still am. Tom is now a black belt. He will not have to work as hard if he doesn't want to. He had a goal. He made it to the top of the mountain. But I'll make an early prediction for you now. Tom will spend just as much time in the gym now that he is a black belt as he did getting his black belt. He's just one of those guys. Somebody else is going to need knowledge that he now has. Somebody else is going to need some help and some guidance and direction. I assure you Tom will give it to him. Scott Coker came out. He was talking about why he changed his mind on signing Yoel Romero. So just to remind you guys of this story, Yoel becomes a free agent recently, three weeks ago. Goes into a bit of the sweepstakes. Coker was one of the first guys asked about Yoel, and Coker said not interested. Great guy, respect him, real talent. That's not what we're doing right now. And then came around like two or three days later and did a different interview and said, well, you know what? Might revisit this. Maybe Yoel goes and grabs a win or something. Maybe I do have a spot for him over here. And then again, makes a rotation, goes, boom, signed him. So people came back and asked him why. Hey, what happened? Why did you change your mind? And Coker just go, he told you what exactly what happened. Because you know what? Had a relationship with Yoel Romero from the Strike Force days back in 2008. Always known what a talent he was, but just wasn't looking to sign a fighter at that age in his career. I'm looking for guys with shelf life. My phone lit up so much. Our social media of Bellator went so crazy specifically for a match between Yoel and Rumble. And Scott had just signed Rumble Johnson. So he comes out and he makes that statement. I bring that to you because I'm one of the people. I want to see Rumble versus Yoel. And I even tried to do it personally in a grappling match. I'll tell you, Yoel didn't want anything to do with it. But the fact that Coker said that he signed Joel because people were so interested in seeing Joel versus Rumble is is one step short of announcing that we're going to get to see Joel versus Rumble. Coker did not go that far, but boy, he got he sure gave us a lot of clues. He gave us a lot of pieces to the puzzle. Interesting for a few reasons. If you're going to bring Joel over to Bellator, fine, but you do have the very first question of what weight class. So now it appears the 205 pound weight class which would bring you closer to starting to make some of these fan, uh, fantasy pairings and matchups, including the one against Rumble, which it looks like Coker might just do right out of the gate. Now, I came across a piece of information. I don't know how accurate this is, but I came across a piece of information that Bellator is looking to do a Grand Prix for light heavyweight. Now, I would believe that because Bellator has been doing Grand Prix for every other weight class. Why wouldn't they do that one? But that could be an opening round match just by example. If they do go the Grand Prix route and they are going to put Yoel and Rumble within that Grand Prix, I suggest you do it right out of the gate. If that's the match we're hoping to get to, we only have one round to manipulate. It's the first round. Manipulate it. Nobody's ever pretended this is a blind draw. There's nothing underhanded about this. There's one round to manipulate. Every fight in fighting has a manipulation because we don't have a competitive architecture. It's why Coker's Grand Prix do so damn well. It's why all the athletes beg, put me in there. It's the one and only chance they're going to have within this space to let their skills speak for their achievements. Everything else will be done through PR, the game being played at the power of the pen. Everything. That's okay. That's okay. But it's also what's unique about the Grand Prix, aside from the first round. Now, nobody's going to complain about their parent in the first round. Nobody's going to argue seeds because you still have the same opportunity and you only have one goal, which is to win the whole thing. So you don't have any ability to complain about your first round draw. If you can't beat the guy in the first round, what's the point in putting it off to the finals? You're not going to either win it or you don't. It's pass or fail. There's no silver medal. They don't play this thing all the way to third. They play it for one reason, which is to first. I bring that to you. I think it was the right move. I think that the mindset of MMA promotions needs to change right now. This is a very strange time we're in. At all walks of life, why would MMA be any different? Everything everything else in life has been disrupted. Why would we not disrupt the way we're thinking in MMA? And one of the ways you think in MMA is always chess, always long-term, two and three and four steps ahead. To get a return on your investment, what am I going to do? I don't think we need to do that right now. Mike Tyson did some very wonderful business the other night. He's getting ready to do very wonderful business again, but they're one-offs. One-off, one night, rebuild, start over. 
It's the boxing model, not the MMA model, but I think there's room for both at the right time. I think this is the time. Grab Yoel on a one-off. Put him in a Whatever you plan to do with him, but if you like the way that goes, bring in Anderson Silva, do another one-off. Maybe there is no long-term play. There's been plenty of great fights, particularly done by Scott Coker, that are one-offs. I can remember Shamrock versus Kimbo Slice or Shamrock versus Hoist Gracie. I don't want to hear your, your reflections on the fight. I'm talking about the anticipation and the excitement. And the only way that we were going to get that is for a very specific you versus you. Whatever happens after this, I, I don't know. That's tomorrow's problem. Today's issue is you versus you sign the contract. And I just think there's some opportunity for guys like that right now. Anthony Pettis tied up with the PFL. I would have loved to have seen Anthony Pettis. Personally, sign with one FC, one off, Eddie Alvarez, Anthony Pettis. Any of you not like that idea? And it's one of these rare times where that can be done. Kayla Harrison, in many ways, is doing that right now. I understand Kayla Harrison is not a star. That's the only difference in her and the people I'm talking about. But she is doing one-offs with promotions right now. She has something lined up with the LFA. She already did an Invicta fight. She's not even going back. I mean, there's no plan to even have her back. It was a disruption. It was one night, but she did it. I think that there's room within this space to do that. It's a rarity. It's not the people you're building that are going to go on and be champions and drive you. I I understand. The, the model's a little bit different. But that's okay. We can do things different. We don't have to get locked in the same mindset and never redo it and never restep. This was a good signing by Coker. Particularly... If we're going to just get Rumble and Yoel together, get get rid of all this. Get Rumble and Yoel signed. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work, but you want to know it's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around the home. Go to GEICO.com. Get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit geico.com today. That's geico.com. Will somebody help me here? I I just read a Khabib interview. I read it. So there's always, something can be lost in translation, right? It's tough enough if you're hearing it, now somebody else has dictated it, and then I've got to read it. But here's, uh, Khabib was talking about. He was talking about, he's in contact with Dana White regularly. The winner of Connor and Poirier will have his championship. So it sounds as though Khabib has some kind of inside information because he's been talking to Dana and that the title's going to be put up on that match, though that hasn't happened yet. Khabib's manager, Ali, comes out on the backside of it and says, no, guys, you're misunderstanding. What Khabib is saying is the winner of that fight will fight for the championship, not the winner of that fight will win the championship. Okay, fine. I went back and reread it again. I could see how you could come to the interpretation that Ali clarified, and I can see how you could come to the original straight-up face value interpretation that I had initially, which is that the title is going to be put up in that fight. Khabib then said that the UFC, he respects what the UFC is doing because they are doing their job. They would like to entice and get him to come back, which he appreciates, but right now there's no opponent for him. If you put that statement in line with a different interview Khabib did, where Khabib made it very clear that it has to be new blood. It's got to be a new opponent. I've already fought these guys. No point in fighting them again if I'm trying to add... To my legacy and or resume, I need a fresh guy. Which, by the way, if you at all interpret to mean that Khabib is saying, I will come back for the right X, Y, or Z, he's never said anything like that. So it gets very tough. I mean, I feel as though if there's one consistent here, and we can try to pick apart the things that he said and find inconsistencies, but guys, if we look at the consistent, the Khabib's not coming back. I mean, right? There's there, there's like nothing else that comes from any Khabib interview. Khabib has not dangled. He has not hedged. He is not like St. Pierre where he's in training every day and he's putting out photos. Henry Cejudo would be another great example. Hey, I'm retired. I'm done. Oh, by the way, look at me on Instagram. I just worked out for two hours. 
that's not what Khabib's doing. As a matter of fact, Khabib held a press conference. He's going in a totally different uh, direction and has now started his own fight promotion and landed a deal with UFC Fight Pass. Wants to become like a feeder organization, have a working relationship with the UFC, bring his guys up, get them an opportunity, expose them over here. Uh, uh, fine. What? Fine. But it just sounds as though Khabib's moved on. This business is very interesting in this way. Okay, think of it in this perspective. Nobody has ever done with this business. You will wake up one day and find out the business is done with you. One day you will wake up and realize, I've got one fight left. Oh, and by the way, my promoter I've been with for a decade has not offered me an extension. That's where you elect yourself mayor of Get the Hintville and realize, I'm done. It looks like Khabib is the opposite. Khabib is done with the business. The business is not done with Khabib. I've never seen anything like this. I mean, it's tremendously flattering. They are complimenting Khabib to the highest level right now, but Khabib is not being a jerk about it. You know where guys are jer- They want to be begged. Oh, I think this is going to be my last fight, which they never meant. They just want you to come. Oh, no, you have so much left. Oh, you're so great. We can't do this without you. Like, they're fishing for a compliment. There's none of that with Khabib. If there's anything we know about Khabib that we can all agree on, that he is a man of his word. Now, I don't issue that statement to then lock him in a corner. He has every right to change his word. He has every right to change his mind. I'm with Dana on this one. I'm hoping he does change his mind. I'm not ready to only have memories of Khabib. I'm ready to continue the story. But he's not a guy that's hedging. He is not a guy that's, uh, you know, for the right this or for the right that. He's not doing any of that. Don't misinterpret it for that is what I'm trying to share with you. Don't read where Khabib says there is nobody new to fight as a way of thinking that he just disclosed, if you offer me somebody new to fight, you will now have my interest. That is not what he's doing. He is doubling down, but I can see where you would misinterpret it for that. He is doubling down on his original premise of I'm done and I've already done everything there is to do. As a matter of fact, the only thing that would be next would be the winner of Connor and Poirier. I fought both. It doesn't matter who wins. Been there, done that. So he's not hedging. Don't misinterpret it for that. He is supporting evidence to his original thesis. Khabib has not changed. He is, it's very, very constant. And I think there does need to be a real discussion about how long can this go on or should we just put the uh, belt around Connor and Poirier? And Dana's not in a rush to do that. In fact, Dana has uh, uh, furthered his original statement of saying, no, there will be no interim championship anywhere. Not on Connor, not anywhere. Khabib is the champion. If that day changes, wherever the belt goes next at 155, we'll go with the undisputed Champion, but it sounds as though Dana thinks there's some opportunity here. Oh, and by the way, there's not a huge rush. There's not. If if we are at least in agreement that the winner of Conor Poirier is the one who goes on to fight for the title, let's say that's against Khabib. That's not going to be earliest until summer. So there's not a major rush to pull this title off of Khabib. And then if Conor Poirier go fight and whoever wins there is going to fight for the championship, okay, great, well now you just need to find who the next guy is. Do we get that out of the Hooker-Chandler match? Has Charlie Olive's done enough just by example? That's, that's a conversation for another day. We've got half of it done. Who's the other half? I mean, it's one of these things where I don't think anybody's bluffing here. It sounds as though the opposite, where everybody's encouraging. It's the opposite of a bluff. It's an encouragement. But we're not getting a ton of clarity, which also brings us to Chemayev. So Chemayev... Leon Edwards, not happening, at least not happening in January, as scheduled. Didn't happen in December, got moved to January, not going to happen in January. But the relevance to it being moved from December to January, generally speaking, if the UFC has a main event. And when half of the main event falls apart, they will preserve that main event as best they can, which means they will keep the other half who did not fall out, bring somebody in new, and off you go. They elected to take that entire fight and move it to another date. I suppose a fair guess would be that they just do that again. It didn't happen in December, tried for January, not going to happen in January. Let's try for February and or March, but let's keep these boys together. That's what it would seem. The other side of the coin is a real conversation of if anybody had a rotten 2020, it's poor Leon. 
Things outside of his control. Things that he he did nothing wrong. Leon did nothing wrong. And it, nothing was going right for him. So Leon has issued a statement through social media saying, Hey, Chemayev, get better. I'm sure our paths will cross soon. But I'm booked on January 20th, and I plan to be there on January 20th. That is his way of telling the organization, find me an opponent. That doesn't mean that that wish is going to be granted. It doesn't. And we don't also don't have any information as to why Chemayev is out. Illness, injury, COVID, right? Anytime a guy's missing a fight, like we, we just assume it's COVID. We don't know, is my point. So we don't know if he's out for a week. We don't know if this was a passport issue and he's just got to get some paperwork done, which again would bring you back to week 10 days. We don't know if there's an injury that isn't being disclosed to us and he's out five months. We don't know. So if you could preserve that bout and just do it a little bit later, great, let's have the conversation. If we can't, we got to do something for Leon. I mean, old Leon deserves something to happen, not to mention he's got to go to work. He's no different than anybody else. He's got he's to go to work. How long can we delay him? I don't, I don't have the answers to this. This is the mess and this is a problem, and I certainly hope that they get this situated and figured out. Kevin Holland has already offered to fill that void. Now, Kevin Holland fights at 185 pounds. That fight's at 170. I don't know how all that works. Don't really care. I really don't care. Kevin Holland is being serious. It's not a joke. Kevin Holland, I'll insert myself. I tried to get him to do a grappling match seven days ago against Rumble Johnson, who outweighed him by 49 pounds. He didn't flinch. So don't think Kevin Holland's coming out, calling out a smaller guy here like a bully. He just, the shoe was on the other foot. I have personal information. I was on the phone with seven days ago. He was going to give up. Let's call it 50 pounds. He didn't care. Kevin Holland is not going to be fighting Leon Edwards. I'm well aware of that. He does get a level of credit for offering to go in there and fight Leon Edwards. Can we, can we at least agree on that? So we've got a lot of moving parts right now. And there's a lot of balls up in the air trying to figure out where all of these things come down. What do we make of Khabib's interview? He said one thing. His manager said, ah, oh, you're misinterpreting it. Okay, fine. Connor Poirier is right around the corner. What's going on with Chemayev and Leon? Do we move the fight? Do we find somebody new for Leon? How concerned do we need to be about Chemayev? Is this an administrative issue? Is this a paperwork issue? Is it an injury? If it's an injury, then we need to give give thoughts and bring positivity for Chemayev. How's Kevin Holland insert himself? What's going on with Neil Magny and Kiesa? That's another fight that was on the same card. Neil Magny, much like we'd like to see something good happen for Leon, we'd like to see something good happen for Neil. Neil's done some damn heavy lifting lately, and he really hasn't asked anything in return. I think it's a mistake. I don't like that Neil Magny doesn't come out and demand a little bit more. I think you miss every shot that you don't take. But either way, I think we agree something good needs to happen to him. Neil Magny versus Leon Edward. You could come up with a lot worse ideas. I'm not sure you could come up with one that's better. Worried about online security? The best way to protect yourself online is by using the privacy app IPVanish. IPVanish is a virtual private network, VPN for short, used on computers, tablets, and phones that secures your connection to the internet and protects your personal information. IPVanish helps protect you whenever you use public Wi-Fi, which is not always secure. When you use IPVanish, your personal data, like your emails, files, even your credit card and banking information, it's all encrypted, helping keep you safe from online thieves. How many times have you Googled something only to have the ad follow you across websites and on your social media channels? Well, that IP address is being tracked. Advertisers and hackers use it to keep tabs on you with IP Vanish. Your real IP address is hidden, helping keep your identity safe. And IP Vanish has a zero log policy. So they're not recording your internet activity. What you do online stays private online when it comes to internet connections at home. 
and on the go, I know I depend on IP Vanish. IP Vanish is rated 4.7 out of 5 by real customers on Trustpilot. If you care about your internet privacy and you want to get reliable online data protection, then head over to ipvanish.com slash Plans start at $3.49 a month, which is a great price to secure all of your devices. All you got to do is go to ipvanish.com slash to start protecting yourself today. George St. Pierre. Hey, thanks a lot, George. Thanks for nothing. Thanks for absolutely nothing. St. Pierre goes out. I don't know if there could be better news if you are a fight fan than George St. Pierre getting off the pot and announcing he's coming back. I mean, that is the announcement that everybody would like to have happen, right? So St. Pierre goes out on Twitter. He says, New Year, new team, big announcement. And he's holding a press conference. I don't know if that press conference is today or tomorrow or the following day, but he makes the announcement, I'm going to have a press conference. New year, new team. Oh, here's what he said. New year, new team, no regrets. That's what he said. Then, in a separate piece, comes out what he's talking about. He's got a press conference. He's going to make this big announcement. Okay, great. George is coming back. This is it. This is absolutely it. He decides to follow up once everybody starts to speculate about that. Just to clarify, he goes, oh, and by the way, no, I am not here to announce a fight. Ah, great. Thanks, George. Then what was all this about? And then he attaches a picture. And it's him hitting mitts with Faraz. So he's got his coach in there, his longtime coach, which, by the way, he said new team. If George was going to come back and fight and left Faraz, that would disappoint me. That would be a terrible decision. Faraz understands George St. Pierre inside and out. There is nobody George is in better hands with than Faraz, and Coach Faraz has proved that. But he says new team and attaches the picture with his original team. So what is George doing? He's trying to get us to speculate. He's trying to get us to talk about him. Good job, George. You got us. You got us. But if he is saying new team, if he is saying a big announcement, new year, new team, if he's saying this this stuff, but he's with the same gym, he's still with TriStar, that would probably lead you to believe, if you're trying to put on your Colombo rain jacket, and guess what's happening here, that he has a new sponsor. That's what I would have to guess. He has a new sponsorship team. He's got a new endeavor he's moving forward. Particularly when a similar thing just happened with Khabib. Khabib put out the same thing, holding a press conference, big announcement coming. He comes out, he announces that he is now getting the promotion business. He's got a show and they're off and running on Fight Pass. So I would suspect that George is trying to do something along those lines and manipulate a little bit, but that gets a little bit of water thrown on it. When he comes out and clarifies, it will not be a fight announcement. I mean, if George was trying to dangle and manipulate and get hopes up so that people tune in and then he can go in whatever direction he wants to self-serve, that's not what he did. He did did not do that. I never see George do that. George is never a self-serving scumbag. St. Pierre did one of the coolest things ever in the sport. I realize the promotion was upset with him. Everybody else needed to go, man, George, that was a cool thing. And I'm talking about he beats Michael Bisping. He has one year to hold on to that belt. One year of media tours, of sponsorships, of seminars, of posters. One year before they're going to strip him. Say he's hurt. Say he's sick. String this along. He could have done it for 12 months. He did it for eight days. He said, take the damn thing back. There's other guys in the locker room with this goal and this dream. And I'm not going to slow any of them down. He never got the full credit that he deserved. That was a cool, cool move by George. And I feel like he's doing that again right now in some level. A different degree, but uh, but the same level. Where he's coming out and saying, I got something to talk about. Don't get your hopes up. It's not a fight. It's something else. All right. Dick move, St. Pierre. Dick move to not tell us, but we will stand by. All right, guys. I'm getting out of here. I am headed to the venue. Submission Underground is hours away. 3 p.m. for you In the Pacific time zone, 6 o'clock Eastern only on UFC Fight Pass. I will recap that and everything else that happens when I talk to you all on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. 
Thanks for listening to Your Welcome with Chael Sonnen. Download new episodes every week at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. Hey, y'all. Taking a moment to share a new podcast, True Underdog, recently launched by Four Times Entrepreneur of the Year Award winner, Jason Waller. It's real, it's raw, it's motivational. If you're looking for inspiring stories and killer entrepreneurship advice, you got to head over and subscribe to True Underdog Podcast. Jason Waller is the definition of a true underdog. He was raised in a trailer park, suffered childhood abuse, was kicked out of high school, and became a dad in his teens. After struggling to care for his young family and hearing the words no and you can't too many times, Jason found the power within and used his street smarts to start three companies from the ground up with his latest venture, Power Home Solar, on the path to becoming a billion-dollar enterprise. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling motivated already. And trust me when I tell you, this guy's energy is contagious. Head over to True Underdog Podcast to hear how Jason and his high-profile guests turn their lives around to achieve massive success. Subscribe to True Underdog Podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or your favorite podcast app.